I'm supposed to turn that on when I'm walking out. You know, there's so many things I got to do, you know, make sure my shoes are tied, make sure my pants are zipped, turn on your microphone, all those kind of things, right? I'm glad you're here. Uh, I I shared this last week, and if you missed that, I want to continue on the good news, but we have completed the loft upstairs. That project is finished, and um, we are... Already using every square inch of this facility for for ministry. So we've got studies happening there during the week. On the weekend, last weekend, we had our journey track class up there. And um, here's an exciting thing. We already have a church planter that's planting a church out of the loft uh, to launch in our area. So thank you for being a church that is generous with your, your resources and your time. Thank you for helping us multiply not just ministry in the creek, but ministry in our community, kingdom-minded ministry, and uh, I'm excited to see what happens uh, through the coming months and years, and and we'll give you a lot more information on the church plant that's coming uh, soon, and, and we may just ask some of y'all to go help with that, um, so we can, we can help them just get just a grand start in our community, so uh, thank you for that. We're in a series called By Grace, and everything we are, Everything is by grace. I mean, by grace, we're saved, right? The only reason we can celebrate baptisms as a church family is because of grace. It wasn't any of our good deeds or our works that got us to a place of submitting our life to Christ. It wasn't our goodness that gets us baptized. It's a dependent relationship and a confession that Jesus is Lord. And we get to celebrate that uh, this weekend. And, 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 and most of the time, I'm, I'm never at a loss for words, but I realize like there's, there's some times that if I keep talking, I'm just going to start crying because I'm so excited uh, uh, to get to baptize my niece and to be a part of that and have her as a part of my family. And, and here's the thing, when we, in the family of God, it's all of us, right? You're all family. Um, and it's so neat to watch somebody grow and step into that grace, especially um, people we love, people we know, and people we've walked with. And, and grace, it just changes everything. And then grace becomes that power at work within us. So not only are we changed and transformed by grace, we're, we're empowered by grace. It's everything that is fueling this life. And, and I want to look at the Apostle Paul this weekend. So if you've got your Bible, go to 2 chapter, Corinthians chapter 12. Um, Paul is a man who's been completely transformed by grace. Uh, Paul was a he was a persecutor of the church and of Jesus. Uh, he was he was breathing murderous threats out against the Christians and and he was on his way to actually arrest them and bring them back to persecute him. And Jesus gets a hold of him, and and, and has he just has an interaction head on collision with grace transforms his life. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and these were letters that were empowered by the Holy Spirit back to the churches in the region to encourage them, help them through disagreements, help them through disputes, help them help them in, in faith matters and how faith and life, you don't separate those things, that our faith in Christ influences everything in our life. And, and so he would give us this wisdom, and that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, which we get in the scriptures today. And the, these, these two letters of the Corinthians, uh, the church at Corinth struggled with faith. They struggled with their faith in the context of their lifestyle. And so in, in 1 Corinthians, the first letter he wrote, he, he's helping them and instructing them in faith, and he's addressing some church problems. There's some, I mean, wherever people are gathered, you know, we like to say in church where two or three are gathered, I'm there. Jesus says that. That's scripture. But also where two or three people are gathered, there's a hot mess. 
right? And so, you, you know, you, you've got a mess happening in these relationships. And so Paul is, is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God is directing him. God is giving him the words. And the hand of Paul is writing this letter to deal with some, some problems and issues they've been facing. And then the second letter Paul writes, he's actually having to defend his position as an apostle of Christ. That it, between the first and second letter, there were false teachers in Corinth and false teachers even in the church that were discrediting Paul and saying, this guy, he's not even, no, he's not even, he didn't even know Jesus. And so Paul's having to write this letter, and he's all, honestly, it's, it, this is one of those positions where it's hard to really talk about yourself, right, and build yourself up. Because he's got to share his experiences with Christ and with the resurrection power that gives him the credibility to be an apostle. And so he's writing this letter, really um, showing that, but in that, what he does is he recounts his sufferings. And he puts his sufferings in the context of what Christ has done. And that suffering for Jesus, that suffering because of the gospel. Paul's a guy that if he were gonna get baptized, he would give us his story, and he would say something like this. Finding Jesus, getting saved, that transformation by grace was the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life, but it's also the most challenging thing that's ever happened in my life. Because it was after he gave his life to Christ that as he began to serve him and pursue him, that he went through all the hardships, that he went through the troubles. And so we can't have this false idea that when, we, when, we, when we're transformed by grace, God just makes everything work out for us, right? He, he doesn't just make traffic part like the Red Sea and open up a lane for us in the middle. I'll start praying about that one, though. But, um, <laughs> but he would tell us that, that the suffering was on account of the gospel. And in chapter 11, he talks about um, the beatings, the shipwrecks, the floggings, the stoning, being hungry, being naked, being left for dead, you know, and, and, and he's moving on this. And in the, at the, towards the end of chapter 11, he tells the church in the letter, he says, if I must boast, if I'm gonna brag about anything, if I'm gonna boast anything, it's of the weakness that show, of the things that show my weakness. So he is writing to a, a, an audience that he's having to defend his position in Christ, defend his apostleship. But he's saying, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna have to lay out my resume for you, I'm gonna show you the things that make me weak. And then he goes into chapter 12. And in chapter 12, he starts out about these, the, these revelations that he's been given from Jesus and, and these incredible things that he's He's been, he's been opened up to. And in verse seven is where we'll start. He says, so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Um, this, is, this is a big deal that we need to really understand. That when he says a thorn in the flesh, that the, the Greek word means a stake, not, not a stake, like a New York Strip stake, but a stake that was used to impale people on. It was a torture device. What he's saying is, I was given incredible torture in my life. This torture was a messenger from Satan. So we see that there's, there's a, a spiritual element to that suffering. 
And he says, I was given that to keep me from being conceited. So this is, this is, a, this is a whole life encompassing issue, right? I mean, this thorn in the flesh, it, it is a, it, it, it's, it's messing with them physically. And we don't know what the actual ailment is. There's a lot of people who debate and there's some good arguments, but ultimately we don't know what this thorn in the flesh is. What we do know is what we can put our finger on in the verse. That is a messenger of Satan. And that would impact him spiritually. It was impacting him physically as we read through his other letters. And listen, you cannot hurt spiritually and you cannot hurt physically without it affecting your emotions. So this was, a, this was a, a trifecta that Paul is experiencing in this weakness, in this pain, in this thorn of the flesh. It's affecting my spirit. It's affecting my mind. It's affecting my body. It's affecting everything. And he goes on to say, three times, I pleaded with the Lord. I pleaded with God. He didn't just say, God, would you fix this? I mean, I, I want you to consider some of the deepest things that you've prayed for in your life. And I don't mean just passing the exam or getting the job or, or I'm talking about the things that at the gut level of your spirit, your emotion, and your body that you are, you are pleading before God for. I mean, I'm walking with people right now that are walking through very incredible darkness and the pleading that they're going through is not just a, oh, I hope I can get there on time. Or God, this it'd be great if you could fix this. It, it, it is on their face, begging, pleading with God. I'm walking with, with parents who are pleading over the salvation of their children. So, so think of that depth. And he says, I've pleaded with God about this, that it should leave me. But this is how God responded. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. When he says my grace is sufficient, sufficient means all sufficiency in all times for all things. What God is saying is what I have for you is more than enough in anything you face. What I have, my grace in you is more than enough for suffering. It's more than enough for the joy. Listen, God, this is gonna be hard for some of you to hear but this messenger, this thorn, God allowed that. God gave this. He said, this was given to me. And there's incredible um, comfort in that, knowing that, that God's grace is sufficient so he'll never let anything too hard come into my life that he knows that, that he can't walk with me through. I know a lot of us like to over-spiritualize this when we say, he'll never give me more than I can bear. Let me give you context of that verse. He's talking in temptation. God will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, which means in every temptation, it won't be, you won't have an excuse to say, I just couldn't handle it. I just couldn't turn away. But listen, I fully believe that the grace of God will lay on us, will lay on you, will lay on me more than we can bear. Why? Because it draws us into his heart. Because you and I are, have this yoke that we have on our life, and we take this on ourselves. We created ourselves, or other people pile it on us, and we're, we're trudging through life, and we're in misery. And that's why Jesus says, If you're weary, come to me. If you need rest, come to me. Take on my yoke. It's a perfectly well fitted yoke specifically for you, and my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But he doesn't say you don't have a burden. 
Sometimes God will give us burdens. I, I believe if our life is, is, is if, if we get everything we want, so if, if, if we really got what a lot of Christians wish for, and that's to, for God to be this cosmic genie, that whenever I say the magic words in Jesus' name, because you said in your word, if I ask these things in your name, I'll get what I want. So if we could really get our way in that and have God as a cosmic genie, and we got everything we wanted, we would be spoiled brats that follow a false God. And God loves us too much for that to happen. God does allow the burdens in our life. Because here's what happens to Paul. This is Paul's response. That's not an easy thing to hear. I'm pleading for this to go away. God, fix this. God, would you take this? And, and what he hears is, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the power of grace. That's the power of an all-sufficient grace. And grace, this grace of God, what God is saying is that, that when you're weak, that gives me a place to move. Our weakness gives, God, gives, gives us a place for God's grace and power to show his sufficiency. There are things in my life that I've asked God to take away from me, and he hasn't. But I have to confess to you, if he took that away, I probably wouldn't pray as much. If he took that away, I'm not going to be in his word as much. If he took that away, I'm not going to just try to get into the presence of God where that grace and the sufficiency of grace can overwhelm my weakness because he's powerful. And what happens is, is, is God's grace brings power in that weakness. That's why Paul says, I'll boast about my weakness. Because your grace brings power into that weakness. I, I want to I kind of parallel this for a second. If you want, you can go over there with me. But I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 5. This is the Beatitudes. This is Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And as I was praying through this, man, God just, I, I, I've had several instances where the Beatitudes have come up in my life. My, my oldest daughter got to preach a couple weeks ago at a church in Canada. And she was preaching about the Beatitudes. And I'm like, you go, girl. I was so proud of her. And, and so it's been on my mind, but as I was thinking about this message, this is what God was showing me, that God's power is at work through blessing. So Jesus uses the Beatitudes as blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. What, he's, what I believe he's resolving is blessed are the weak, for they will see God's power at work. Listen, listen to these. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We have nothing, Right? But yet in him we have everything. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The mourning, when, when, when we've been in mourning, we know, how, we know how weak we feel. I mean, we've walked with people who have experienced incredible loss. And just to have the energy to get up. Just to have the energy to answer a phone call. To start answering questions, it takes everything in that weakness, God's comfort, that's his power at work in us. Verse five says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness, uh, meekness is kind of gentleness, and, and people perceive, the world perceives 
gentleness as a weakness, but it leads to a great inheritance. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I don't know about you, but I get really weak when I'm hungry. And when I'm thirsty, I'm really weak. But this is what Jesus is saying is when, when you feel weak and you're hunger and thirsting for righteousness, listen, my power says this, my sufficiency of grace says you'll be filled. Weakness to strength. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is not what justice demands. We love pursuing justice in our world, but when we seek mercy, God's strength provides mercy to us. I keep going. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We are called to a life of purity, walking in purity. That's righteousness. And the world looks at us as weak because we don't give in to the fleshly desires that, that everyone else in the world and our world system says, it's okay. If it makes you happy, do it. If it feels good, do it. You do you, baby. Make you happy. If no one else around you is about your happiness, then they're not for you. They're against you. And, and you just need to shut them out. You need to cancel them. And you need to go for you. And it's, it's perceived in our world as weakness when we say, I don't pursue that. I don't need that. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Ultimately, that's, I believe, what we're all looking for anyway. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers can appear to be weak because they won't indulge the fight. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. being attacked for righteousness. That, this is what Paul was saying. I've been attacked for righteousness. I have been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. But it reveals a higher kingdom, which means when we are feeling weak from, from the world persecuting us because we're pursuing righteousness, there's a kingdom that I realize that I'm a part of that is much greater than this. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad that your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So people who hate you and people who lie about you to expose either a real or perceived weakness in your life, Jesus is saying there's a stronger reward for that. So you see where, where in all these things that in our weaknesses where the power of God comes in and has something much bigger. And it's not just fulfilling the need where we're weak. It's the all-sufficiency of grace that's taking us to a higher purpose. And God empowers us by grace. And then God gives us gifts. He empowers us through gifts given by his grace. And I know a lot of times people get real uncomfortable when we go down this bunny trail but I feel like we need to understand how God does empower us. I go to Romans chapter 12. And I want, to, I want to show you some of these gifts. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. These are the grace gifts. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If serving, then service. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. That's encouragement. The one who contributes, let it be in his generosity. The one who leads, let him lead with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, do that with cheerfulness. Those are grace gifts. He goes on in his first letter to the Corinthians when they're having some issues in their church about spiritual gifts and they're causing division and people are thinking, you know, I, you know I'm more holier than you because I got this gift. You know, it's kind of like siblings on Christmas morning. You are super, I'll just, okay, I'm gonna just go back to my Christmas mornings because this is sometimes what I felt like. I'm super excited to open my gifts. 
And then I start looking at what my brother got, and I was like, he made a better choice than I did. If you got siblings, you know what I'm talking about. And I, used, I would look like, man, why didn't I just, I should have I, I gotten smart and listened, like, what toys does he want for Christmas, and just put Tom's two beside of them. And so the church is frustrated. The church is frustrating each other, and there's all this division happening. But listen to what, what he talks about, spiritual gifts. Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit. Listen to this, for the common good. For the common good. So anytime God is empowering a follower of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in them, that empowerment is for the common good, which means it's not about me. The gifts that God gives us by grace is not to build me up, it is to build us up. It's to build the church. Ultimately, what it's doing is making Jesus clear. It should never confuse Jesus. Now let's talk about some of these real quick. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. I'm going to read these and then give you some definitions. The spirit of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another faith by the same spirit. To another gifts of healing um, by the one spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To, various, uh, to another various kinds of tongues. And to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So we have different gifts. So, so look at this. You got wisdom. Wisdom means making choices and leading according to God's will. And in James, he says, pray for wisdom. If you lack wisdom, ask. So God gives a gift. He empowers us by grace to have wisdom. If you're struggling about how to lead in your family or in your job, or if you're struggling about this call because you have a call to lead out in the church, Pray for wisdom, ask for wisdom, and he will give you that. And it's that ability to make choices and lead according to God's will. The next one is knowledge. It's understanding a spiritual issue. It's not knowledge so you can win Jeopardy. Well, if he, he, God can do anything, right? But if you win Jeopardy, it better make Jesus very clear. So he gives you knowledge. Faith. That's inspiring others to trust God no matter what the circumstances are. I have encountered so many people who have that gift because I get to the base of a mountain and I look at that and go, there ain't no way that's happening. And God brings other people alongside of me and they have this gift of faith, but they say, but, but God said to make that mountain move, not you. God said he's gonna take you up that path. And people who have faith, you need to be around people who have that gift of faith because they encourage you and they, they, they help you understand that greater is he who is in me, that he is in the world. They help me to see that I can do all things. And they help me to see that God has a bigger call in my life. Then healing, right? That one's self-explanatory. That's healing of the body, mind, um, or, and or the mind. And that's healing. And some have a gift of healing. That's a gift. The next one is miracles. Some people ask, well, aren't miracles the same as healing? Healing is a miracle, but listen, miracles are, are signs and displays of signs that give credibility to God's word in the gospel. 
I always uh, prayed when I was young and struggling with faith, is this real? God, if you're real, would you just like levitate me on this bed? I mean, that would be a miracle, right? But God never did that. But if he did, it would make the person and work of Jesus absolutely clear. But I find nowhere in scripture where God's like, hey, if, you're, if you want to be selfish about this, then go ahead and ask me and see if I'm going to respond. So it's a gift of miracles. Then you've got uh, prophecy. That's clearly proclaiming the word of God. In the Old Testament, you have prophets that were speaking prophecy, which is the word of God. They were speaking that to the nation of Israel, and they were speaking that for our benefit, even in prophecy of what's to come. Prophecy isn't always future events. Prophecy is simply proclaiming clearly the word of God, which means what I am teaching to you is prophetic. I am prophecy. I am clearly unpacking the word of God so we understand it. Then you've got discernment. That's to recognize whether something is from God or not. I have people in my life that have strong, high levels of discernment. If you do not have high level of discernment, find somebody who does. Because the people around me that have high levels of discernment have saved me from making some very, I don't want to say poor choices, but choices that weren't right. I mean, I have people on my team that have high levels of discernment. And when I talk about, well, should we bring this staff member on? They're like, "Mm mm-mm. And I'll be honest with you, I'm glad I listened to them. They've saved me a lot of headache and heartache. Find somebody with discernment. The next one, this is where people get really freaked out, is tongues, right? Tongues. It is this, to be able to communicate in a language that you have no experience with. Go to Acts chapter 2. They have Pentecost. 120 are gathering up a room. Holy Spirit comes in, fills us. Tongues of fire separate on each one of them. They begin speaking in other languages. They go out, and they're speaking the gospel. And the people in Jerusalem that were there for the festival from all different nations were hearing the gospel in their own native tongue. And they looked at these guys like, how are you speaking my language? That's the power. That's grace empowering the believer to make Jesus clear. And then there's an interpretation, a gift of interpretation. That's interpreting speech and language and writing uh, to translate it to others. One that is not on this list that people ask me about is a prayer language. God may lead you into a prayer language, and that's a beautiful way, but Paul talks about that. He separates that, that that prayer language, that builds up the believer. The gift of tongues builds up the church. And the gifts, all of these gifts, listen, all these gifts for the common good build the church. Every empowerment is to make the person and work of Jesus absolutely clear. That's the gospel. That's the empowerment that he gives us. So grace gives us power, and then through that power, the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit is living inside of us and empowers us with these gifts and he gives, he, he, we don't get to get, sit there and go, well, I want this one, this one, and this one. We don't look at other people in the church and go, well, I want that gift. You want to trade? Because about three days after Christmas, that's what I was angling on my brother for. Don't you like this one? I think this one's better than that one. And then, you want to trade? No, here's the thing. God... God uniquely wired each of us. And he has that perfect gift and the perfect timing for that gift. 
because he knows that you'll be in the situation to trust him to take that step and and you'll make Jesus clear. People's lives will be changed. People's lives will be saved because when you explain Christ through that gift, the grace of God now is empowering you to change their life. You're not changing their life. It's the grace of God that's changing your life. And what happens is when we submit into grace, it's like Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more about my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. That power of Christ is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our life so that God's power and empowerment of grace can move in me and move through me so that I can be who God's called me to be. Paul would go on in this argument about the gifts and, and in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verse 9, uh, this, is what, this is what he says. Um, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Listen to this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And I am what I am because of the grace of God. And there's still a lot of stuff in me that needs to be cleaned out. There's still a lot of things in me that need to change. But I am what I am because of the grace of God. Because of the grace of God, I can stand before you. Because of the grace of God, I can stand before God Almighty. And what he sees is his righteousness. That by the grace of God, I can start to see myself the way God sees me. By the grace of God, I can see purpose in my life. We all struggle. God, what's your purpose in my life? And we reduce God's purpose down to, should I take this job? Should I date this person? Should I marry this person? Should, what, should I move to this town? Should we do? And we reduce God's will into these little finite moments. But ultimately, when you look at who God has created us to be, and by the grace of God transforms us into his righteousness, he's called us to be a witness of grace a witness of the power of grace and the transforming nature of grace. He takes us from wretches to witnesses. How does he do that? Because his grace has transformed us. Because his grace gives us power. And Jesus even told us in Acts 1.8 that you will receive power to be my witnesses starting here in Jerusalem and working out to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. Therefore, I will boast all the more about my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Why? To be a witness. Well, how do I be a witness? You talk about the power that grace has brought into your life. The witnesses, we're all weak, but the power changes everything. And that power is sufficient in all things at all times no matter what. And it's by the grace of God we go. God's grace is sufficient. All we have to do is let him, let his power work in us. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to fake it and put up the facade 
but just humble yourself in the presence of God to say, I need your grace. Maybe it's time to stop pleading with God for what you want so that his power can be made perfect in your weakness. Let me pray for us. God, there, there's so many things that we wish you would change in us, would remove from our life, would fix, would heal, would take away. But God, we know this truth and we stand on this truth. We know that your grace is sufficient and we know that your power is made perfect in our weakness. And God, from this moment, I don't make excuses for my weaknesses anymore. I use my weaknesses as a witness of your power at work in me. I will let your grace, God, we will let your grace work in us and through us. Thank you that your grace is more than enough to sustain us and save us, change us, empower us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for grace. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.